Hello, Marvelites! You're listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 616. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. This is Jace Moore Agarhart, a.k.a. J.M.I. Yeah, J.M.I., you're back. Hello. Yes, I am back, man. Glad to be here, brother. Yeah. Uh, and, and on such an important episode, because this is... 616? 616? Oh, this is the episode of the real Marvel Universe. I like it. And that's what you can expect here because this is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about all things happening this week in Marvel. We're going to talk about games, comics, books, TV, movies, toys, whatever we're excited about. James, what are you excited about this week? You know what? I'm actually excited about um, the new Illuminati. I should say. I, I'm, I'm. It was. I, I just. I was reading about it and the fact that you know Blue Marvel's in it and Black Panther's not in it and Namor's not in it, but uh, Emma Frost is in it, taking Professor X's place. I'm like very interesting. So I'm. I'm kind of excited about this, bro. Well, we're gonna get a little bit more into that in just a minute, but we're also later on in the episode talking to Stefan Soretti. We call him Steph. Steph Soretti, the visual supervisor for Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 as well as other studios projects such as the Doctor Strange films and Marvel Studios Ant-Man and the Wasp so get ready for that James you've been, it's been a while since you've been on were you able to see Guardians Volume 3? Yes, and speaking of uh, Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy 3, I have a bone to pick Uh-oh. with you. Let's go. You did not tell me to bring a box of tissues. <laughs> you did not tell me to get ready for this emotional uh, roller coaster. The funny thing is, uh, I was I couldn't see it opening weekend, so I was reading about it, but I was not ready for the emotional roller coaster I was going to go on. Uh, no spoilers. I know it's already out. It's already on uh, Disney Plus, but still, wow, yeah. wow. Yeah, I was uh, not prepared. Yeah, Uh, we're going to get into some of that, maybe some spoiler territory later on when we talk to Steph. But for now, let's get into the news and talk a little bit about what you were talking about, the the new Thanos series. Give us some of those details. Ah, the Mad Titan goes to war against the Illuminati in the new Thanos series. This November, four-issue limited series that presents a riveting fresh take on the Mad Titan. The Mad Titan descends upon Earth to retrieve something he's lost, and Illuminati must band together to stop him because they're the ones who hid it from him. Dun, dun, <laughs> that dun. sounds like the Illuminati. That's, that's sad, sad. You know, and the new Illuminati is Mr. Fantastic, Doctor Strange, Iron Man, and joining this new incarnation are uh, Emma Frost and the Blue Marvel. I'm so excited about the Blue Marvel being a part of this. Very I mean, excited. One of the the coolest characters, uh, Adam Brashear, Dr. Adam Brashear. If anybody out there has never read a Blue Marvel comic, now is a perfect time. Get excited. Um, You can go read the Ultimates runs of comics that Al Ewing wrote. That's really good. Al has a big love for... Um, for the Blue Marvel. There's um, Adam Legend of the Blue Marvel series that came out a bunch of years ago, which is really wonderful too, that sort of introduced this character into the Marvel Universe. And then I think most recently, there's some Defenders comics that have had the Blue Marvel in it, which were really good. And also, you know, giving Emma Frost some love. I mean, here, here's here's a character who has been through the ringer. This is a bad guy, good guy, bad guy, in between, gray area, teacher, leader, um, messing around with Scott, and you know how I feel about that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and the fact that she's there, you know, you not only give a woman's perspective to the Illuminati, but also she is, you know, she packs one hell of a punch. 100%. 
Oh, baby, we got some killer comics news this week because death comes ripping in Sabretooth War. Oh, hell yeah. All right, so get ready for, quote, this is on our site, quote, the most violent Wolverine story ever told. Yes. Sabretooth War starts this January from writers Benjamin Percy and Victor Laval, artist Corey Smith and Jeff Shaw. Holy crap. Uh, it's going to look amazing. It's going to be ridiculous and killer it is shipping bi-monthly starting in january and Sabretooth war will begin in wolverine number 41 then culminate in the landmark wolverine number 50 this is the first time we're going to see wolverine against Sabretooth um in the Krakoan era but like in, in a whole bunch of years it feels like we've been waiting for it in this time period and it's it's going to be awesome so obviously it's going to talk about their um current fall of x status quos and see what's going on but it's also going to touch on their their history there's going to be new revelations behind why they hate each other so much this is something that's been going on for many many decades and uh in this story it kicks off when Sabretooth revives a deadly tradition. If you know your Wolverine Sabretooth history, you know what it is immediately. If you don't, ooh, maybe we'll tell you some comics to read. Um, this is going to rule. Get ready for Sabretooth War in January. Now, something big that just happened is the Hellfire Gala, and uh, that, that rocked all the X-Men. You know, yeah. James, you, myself, Lorraine, we were at the first Hellfire Gala. I know, we were. Anybody can go check out X-Force number 20. Uh, our friend Joshua Cassara drew us into the issue. I have the original, one of the pages of original art behind me. So we were there for the first one. Yes. This third one, lots of people died. Like, everybody yeah. died. Ugh. Everybody died. People Spoilers. just came and started killing people. Like, oh, and... It, so yeah, we didn't die. I I almost had. We it, didn't like, die. I, when I first heard about what was going to happen at the gala, I was like, "Do I ask them to draw me, James, and Lorraine back in so they can kill us? Is that cool or no?" I didn't go through with it. Um, but what's really cool is the Hellfire Gala just happened. Um, Fallen Friend, which is the story about Ms. Marvel um, and her death, and sort of remembering that that just happened. Those were released. Now we've got some really great early Marvel Unlimited releases coming up on the service. There's a special early release on Marvel Unlimited exclusive vertical format. X-Men Hellfire Gala number one is, is just this big issue. Um, and this is really setting up what we're in now, the fall of X. Um, in addition to that Hellfire Gala one shop, we also have the prelude issue, Fallen Friend number one, and that's also in vertical format too. That covers sort of what happened, you know, the, the, her friends, her family, uh, Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel, she died and really sets up the the preceding bits right before she be, realizes that she's a mutant and she's part oh, of that yes. community. Um, and, you know, falling, that, that that's the repercussions for Amazing Spider-Man number 26. Um, so those are cool. Those are in the service and they're vertical, as I mentioned. So they're part of that, like, Infinity Comics style. Then, to top it off, there's two brand new Infinity Comics, X-Men Unlimited number 100 and X-Men Hellfire Gala Last Rites. Those issues are going to follow the X-Men vote candidates in the lead-up to this latest Hellfire Gala. Um, they're going to offer some cool behind-the-scenes peaks at the weeks and the days before Orcus just just craps all over me kind. It's just a lot. It's a lot. There's there there's a there's a moment as a fan where you kind of just go, can the mutants just have a year off? Can they have a vacation? 
the mutants are just trying to live. They're just trying to make it work. Can you just let them have just, just a year of a vacation where like every time you open up a comic, look, they're fishing. Maybe they're playing pool. You know what? They went they went bowling together. They have this gala and everybody dies. These are the these are the X-Men. These are the mutants. They shouldn't be able to be killed. They are getting their behinds whooped. And you're like, okay, dang. Come on. Yeah. Uh <laughs> But, you know, I talked to Jonathan Hickman, uh, writer Jonathan Hickman and writer Grant Morrison about that. Like, as X-Men fans, it hurts. But if it's these are great, compelling stories. And Jonathan's like, that's drama, man. Like, in his, yeah. like, cool way that Jonathan always has. It's like, that's drama. That's what we have to do. It's like, okay, I'm with you on that at the same time. <laughs> I love it. I, I relish know, it. No. Let's get us back on track and yes, give you something great. that won't depress you because if you're excited about this year's Hellfire Gala, how about celebrating with Marvel Unlimited? New members can get their first year for just $52. Woo. In addition to access to over 30,000 digital comics, members can read exclusive Hellfire Gala Infinity Comic tie-ins that we just talked about. Use code GALA23, that's G-A-L-A-2-3 at marvel.com slash unlimited to start reading today. Now, James, we're at Marvel. We do all kinds of things, obviously. Of course, yes. We've got the movies and television. But uh, right now, we're talking about Luna Snow, who has a new song. Luna Snow is back with a brand new song, perfect for your summer playlist. This is coming through Marvel Future Fight. It's her latest music video. I really want to fly away. Summer okay. remix. Uh, shout out to a uh, friend over at Marvel Games, Danny Koo, who has been so cool in like, helping bring character of luna snow and so many others to life all the work that he's done on marvel future fight um, but this is cool this is a, a big summer update for the blockbuster mobile rpg marvel future fight there's new summer uniforms for luna snow for mysterio um, and a bunch more they're all available in the cool summer token shop and the uniform shop starting from uh, last week and going into next week august 22nd um super cool there's a whole bunch more in there you can go to marvel.com and check out the details you can watch the uh, music video you can play marvel future fight on your mobile device get up in there and tell danny great job yeah that's dope man that's really really cool Ooh, here is something super cool you can read an excerpt from scott lang's lookout for the little guy book uh you may have seen scott lang reading from his memoir in Marvel Studios, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. That's the book. Look out for the little guy. Well, it is a real book. We've been telling you about this for a while. It's a real book. You can buy. You can read it very soon. It releases September 5th. You can pre-order it now at all fine booksellers. But if you want a taste of the book, we have an excerpt, the introduction for the book, written by Scott Lang. Yes, written by Scott Lang, that you can read right now on Marvel.com. It is very funny. It is very pithy. It is wonderful. It's going to give you a tone for what the whole book is all about. I can't wait. Go read the excerpt. Pre-order your copy of the book, which is, again, called Look Out for the Little Guy. And watch Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania on Disney+. Plus. So I wanted to ask you, James. Yes. Have you had a chance to get any visibility on Rogers the Musical? I know you're obviously a big Broadway uh. guy. I haven't gotten any visibility, but um, I will be going mm. to the land of Disney mm -hmm. uh, very soon, mm. and that is definitely uh, what I, I want to see. It. I have. I have. I can't say. I had some friends who worked on it, mm -hmm. and so I am very um, interested 
and uh, seeing it. I, I will never forget being on an opening night of a Broadway show and seeing Mark Shaman, who wrote the song. Uh, Mark Shaman is a he is a Broadway legend and written some wonderful songs and but he he told me he wrote the song and what was really funny is he was like you know I I, I was excited but you know I did I didn't know what it would do I had no idea it was going to be this I was like I said Mark you wrote it for Marvel fans it definitely was going to be this <laughs> you don't know you just you literally brought two groups together you brought Broadway nerds and our wonderful Marvel fam comic book family together of course it was going to be this. <laughs> So I'm very excited. I'm glad. Um, now let's get into this week's comics picks. Now you've been traveling, so uh, yes. it's totally understandable. You haven't been able to check these out. I have so not. I'm going to sell you, James, okay. on some of the comics that are out this week. Please do. First up, Daredevil number 14 is the final issue of Daredevil by writer Chip Zdarsky, artist Marco Coquetto, and colorist Matthew Wilson. It is incredible. Um, the, the sort of It's almost like an epilogue to the whole saga, it gives us a sense of where a lot of the supporting characters are. Like we just saw Matt Murdock die and like sacrificed himself in hell essentially to save tons of people, politicians, his friends, his family, all kinds of things. So this is all of them sort of dealing with this loss and Electra has taken on the mantle of Daredevil um, in a number of ways. She's got like this, she's got like a um, person in the chair kind of thing going yeah. on. You got that. You can see where Foggy is. You see where um, Cole North is. Like all kinds of really great things. It is a really wonderful wrap up to one of my favorite runs of Daredevil comics. Ever. Really? Yeah. That's saying a lot. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm with that. Yeah. Um, and so in three months, that whole run will be on Marvel Unlimited. Everybody can check it out. Really got it. Then we've got Marvel's Voices X-Men out this week, which is a giant mamma jamma of like 80 pages. It is got tons of characters. It mixes eras. It mixes heroes. There's some villain stuff in there. It is a real blast. And uh, we love the Marvel's Voices books. Love it. There's, I, got, I got to work on a few of them. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's no beast in there <laughs> this time for you. Sorry. It's I know. okay. Um, but, but yeah, so that's where we're at with that. Marvel's Voices X-Men. Great, great stuff. Looking forward to that. Okay. And then Uncanny Avengers number one is a really key book actually in, in, if you've read the Hellfire Gala, you should definitely check out Uncanny Avengers number one because it sort of falls right after the events of the gala. And basically Steve Rogers is like, I need a unity squad back together again. Avengers, X-Men, Avengers and Mutants back together teaming up to stop in this case orcus and a lot of the 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 machinations that have been driven against uh against mutant kind which is also kind of against the broader freedoms of the world yeah and it is written by jerry duggan who's been doing bang up work on x-men and the hellfire gal and all that stuff drawn just unbelievably by javier garon who we've had on the show before James, when I tell you, like Javier is on fire in this issue. You've you've mentioned him and his Oof. art and how much you love it oh. many times. <laughs> God, he he did spectacular work on Avengers with writer Jason Aaron, and here it's just 
I, there's there's beautiful stuff. He's his characters are kind of always in motion. There's little things. There's a whole there's like a splash page of of Quicksilver who's on the team carrying various members of the team somewhere. And like at one point, Monet M Monet Saint Croix M she's like watch your hands and she's got this look on her face and he's like I just need a tight grip. And then another he's he's carrying this character. He's carrying Captain America and he's like doing all this stuff. But then when you get to the next page, there's something you never see. It's Quicksilver like bowled over and putting his hand on something and like breathing heavy the idea of like exertion and yes how much that that required of him is really good to see Mm -hmm. and i i imagine that might be a jerry thing but really like that's a that's a javier moment to like get that emotion get that background thing because that's not even the focal point of the panel but it was something that i looked at but it's beautiful it's really good storytelling i love it yeah, we've got a new Captain Krakoa who's going against stuff. We've got a new um, sort of brotherhood that they're dealing with, which... Wow. I just got to say, my boy Fred, I just want to shake him. I want to shake him. Make, <laughs> shake some sense into him. Uh, Freddie Dukes, please come back come back to us, my friend. Um, there's a lot going on in this issue. It's setting up a whole bunch of really good things. It's very funny. It's incredibly violent. Well, now that I'm back in town, I definitely got to pick that up. That's oh. I'm definitely, yeah. And there's also a page of, like a teaser page for the upcoming Gods series, which is by Jonathan Hickman and Valerio Schiti. And uh, this is, it's all those, all these Gods, like prelude s- stories, one pagers throughout a lot of our comics are written by Jonathan, but then Javier gets to draw this one. I'm just going to say there's like open head surgery also in this story is a bucket of cosmic artifacts and it all connects and you're just like what is this even about okay you sold yeah. me it's gonna be good so a lot of comics for you to read james i want to forward report soon well, you that... usually text me when you read something and you're like i do this is crazy well that that was a lot and with that being said i'm gonna need i'm, I'm gonna need a break so yeah. uh we'll be back after this don't go anywhere ladies we we right back everybody marvel lights will be right back Hey, you are listening to This Week in Marvel. I'm Ryan Panagos. And I am Angelique Roche. I'm just <laughs> kidding. My name is Jace Moreau Igerhart, a.k.a. JMI, giving a shout-out to my sister, Angelique Roche. Yeah, Angelique. Um, we'll be back hopefully next week, if not in two weeks. Um, all right, we've got a interview right now. So I talked to uh, Steph Soretti, who's the visual effects supervisor for Marvel Studios' Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Um, also worked on you know the Doctor Strange films, some Ant-Man stuff. It's been around for a while. We had a really fun talk about the, the work that goes into this, working with uh, writer-director James Gunn, working with all the various departments, and really like bringing emotion and life to computer generated things um, and characters. And, and it's really fun. Hopefully y'all enjoy this chat right now. Oh, and reminder in this interview, they go get into some spoilers. So just warning you, there are some spoilers for Marvel studios, guardians of the galaxy volume three. We're telling you now, let me repeat there are some spoilers, so no tweets and no tweets, no no X's and stuff at us saying, <laughs> well, what happened? Why'd you say that? No, no, we're warning you. Okay, now, not getting an interview. It's really great. All right, here to talk about some Guardians is Steph Soretti, who is the Marvel Studios visual effects supervisor for the film. How you doing, Steph? 
I'm good. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm doing fantastic. Now, I'm going to talk about some spoilers, some fun stuff, some get into the technical bits and bobs. But I got to ask you, Steph, what is your Marvel origin story? How did you first learn about the characters of Marvel, the like everything, not necessarily working on it, but from yeah. a like fan or just knowledge perspective. Yeah, no, it's interesting because I'm French uh, and I was, I was born in France and I was, you know, raised in France. And I remember I, I had a neighbor, so I was living in a like, little suburb thing and I had a neighbor that had uh, those comic books, uh, magazines, and they were very far, you know, very few in France. It was like, I think the name of it was Strange, actually. Yeah, it was It was Strange, and it was kind of a mashup of different kind of uh, uh, Marvel uh, comic book things. Uh, I think it was never really in the right order. Things were kind of all over the place. <laughs> uh, I don't know that French people had a very good understanding of what it was <laughs> at the time. I was in the 70s, and they would just grab these things from the U.S. and put it in a magazine, and that's how I... I I think I saw that. And then we also had uh, Spider-Man, the cartoon on TV, and I think the Fantastic Four as well mm -hmm. uh, when I was like the very old ones. Like, yeah. I'm old. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that was that was how I remember it. Um, but then I, you know, I, I was reading mostly French comics, to be honest. Um, like what? In comics. Uh, like, you know. Obelix and Asterix and the Smurfs and all that stuff. Um, some other ones that are really cool. But um, so I, I, but I, you know, I, I started to, I saw the X-Men films, uh, you know, the first few ones. And I've always been interested. I've been interested by other superhero films, not from Marvel as well, you know, things like that everywhere. <laughs> and it was interesting because I always remember seeing, even like the the front page of one of these magazines, I, that's a that's a, a memory I have from being a kid. And it was I think it was Captain America and Thor and maybe some other characters I don't remember. And I was like, oh my god, these guys are cool, but they're it's a little funny too. You know, <laughs> as a French person, seeing Captain America was very you know was was a little different. And also we had the funny thing in France is we had we had comic French comic that were kind of making fun like there was like a french comic that was um uh like the french superhero and he had a beret and he had a baguette and so stuff like that so they were they were kind of uh bumping on that that idea and then making the french version out of it sure which was i love it i love it so all right you you then start getting into your side of the business and you, you're, yeah. you're learning about Marvel films and all this stuff. Tell us about the career path that actually brings you to Marvel Studios. And then even, you know, I, I want to also then get to coming back to work on the, the last chapters of this team yes. of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a long, very long story, but um, I, I worked on, you know, I've, I started working in France and then I, I, I started working on a, a lot of, a lot of, American movies, even from France. I was working in a company called Booth at the time, Booth Company. That we actually, they worked on Guardian Three, um, and um, and years after years, I, I made, I met more and more people that were working in the industry in, on the Hollywood side, and I met a lot of people actually that on, when I did the Matrix Two and Three, um, and those people ended up starting to work for Marvel a few years later, and they actually got me in touch with the people at Marvel. Uh, at the time, Victoria Alonso was uh, head of visual effects, and she hired me for um, the first Captain America because I was in I was in London. Uh, I had moved to London from Paris, and uh, and 
they hired me to be the second uh, to Christopher Townsend, who is one of our visual effects supervisors at Marvel as well, uh, who actually did Guardians 2. Um, so I was his second on Captain America. Then I, I worked on Thor 2. Um, and then I, I got invited to do uh, Guardians of the Galaxy as the main supervisor. Uh, so I met, I met uh, James, uh, James Gunn. I, I was actually shooting... Um, Thor 2 in, in London at the time. And they flew me to, to LA, uh, to our Manhattan Beach um, studios at the time. We were not at Disney yet. And uh, that's, that's when I met James the first time. And uh, we had a meeting. It was kind of a funny meeting. Um, I had just watched the movie Super that I quite kind of liked that he had done. And uh, so we talked about it a little bit and we talked about the film. And I remember the first time Marvel talked to me about Guardians, I was like, they were like, okay, so we want to give you this movie. It's a little bit different. <laughs> it's a little different. I said, how different? Because I had never heard about the Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, that was definitely something that never get a, got across the pond and all the way to France. So um, I was like, how different? So well, there's going to be a tree man and a talking <laughs> raccoon. I was, okay, <laughs> that sounds fun. Uh, and uh, they talked to me about James Gunn uh, and, then, uh, and then I met him. And, you know, we hit it off pretty quickly, actually. It was, it was really good. Um, I loved working on the first one and establishing all these characters and the universe and working with all the great people we had. It was shot in London, the first one. Uh, so it was all a, a team of people that I actually worked with before because it was kind of a, the Marvel people in London, even though we're not, you know, we're just all freelancers. But it was uh, it was all the people that had been working with with Marvel, you know, with Kevin and and all these people, and that that he knew he could trust to get that, you know, get that done. Um, so that was that was good. You know, thinking about that, those early conversations. You know, you're like, okay, talking raccoon and a tree man, mm -hmm. but that's also got to be super exciting for you and all the, the things that you do with your team of like bringing to life really cool ideas and weird stuff. And especially the visual identity that the Guardians films have, like, that's got to be a feast. Oh, yeah. No, that was great. I mean, we had um, so Charlie Wood was the production designer and um, uh, Ben Davis was our DP and uh, um, uh, Alex um Alex Byrne was the costume designer, and we all kind of worked together with James to figure out, you know, all the all that stuff. But but you know, on our side with my producer Susan Pickett, which is still my produce, my VFX producer, she, we've been doing all the films together at Marvel uh, all these years, and we were like, okay, who's going to be which? Which is going to be the best visual effect FX team? You know, because we work with VFX studios that do the work, you know, uh, with us, and um, and we try and do a casting of which companies and which people at these companies are going to be the best one to, to do. And, you know, they, all these companies have some specific kind of qualities to them. You know, oh, we know these guys are really good at doing animated characters. Or we know these guys are very good at doing crazy environments, science fiction stuff. So we, we have to kind of look at everything that Charlie Wood was designing and look at all the characters that the VizDev department at Marvel was designing and then figure out which ones would be the best one to do, to do the work. And so that's very exciting. And then we try to, to find the right people. So, the, you know, James has a very specific um, way of thinking. <laughs> He's got a very specific humor. He's got a very, you know, all these things. So we have to find also the right people in terms of the vendors, uh, supervisors that work with us and work with James 
on how to get that team together. It was it was a good casting. We, we find we find the right people to to do the first one, and 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 all of that was super exciting. As I remember, all you know, talking with Charlie Wood. Um, was designing everything and he said, you know, we're doing a sci-fi movie. So even a, a door handle needs to be different. You know, even everything has to be designed. You can't just go to Ikea and buy something. So that was, that was the challenge for everything. And we get, there was so much thinking going into everything. Yeah. Uh, it was really exciting. Yeah. And, and clearly it, it shows. And you, you sort of touched on a bunch of things I wanted to, to ask you about, but I, I want to pull back a little bit. Uh, and and for our listeners in particular, like, can you give a, a little sense of what a day to day looks like for you? You know, you talk about casting and, and getting into working with some amazing creators in, in a lot of ways. But you know, when when film is in production, what does that look like for a visual effects supervisor like you? Well, it's it's interesting because there's like three phases in the film. There's pre production, production, and post production. Sometimes they kind of <laughs> mix each other a little bit, but m- mostly it's that. So in in every different phase, the, my days are very different. Uh, so in production, it's more about thinking about, esta- you know, establishing the look, working with the on a creative level. So every day we go through the film and through the, all the different the different scenes, and we work with all the the crew around us, like the the other heads of department, to kind of establish the style. And then we have obviously, you know, a film needs the needs a budget, so we have to kind of budget the movie with my producer, with Susan, and. Um, and also, it's it's a mixture of like creativity and also okay, what can we achieve with what we're given? So there's a lot of that going on, and also the practicality of how we're going to shoot that. The good thing with James is that he's very prepared. So during pre-production, we do a lot of previs based on his storyboards uh, that he's he's been drawing and he's doing shot lists and everything. So it's very very prepared. So we we can be very specific about how we're going to do things and how we're going to you know talking to the special effects department, the ones that are doing physical things on set, and how do we work together on this? So, so it, it, it's a, this phase is very kind of a day-to-day chipping away at the film and really figuring out how we're going to shoot it. Then you shoot it every day, and you hope that everything you've planned is going to work. Most of the time it works, sometimes it doesn't, and then you have to be very reactive, and also, you, you know, it's a creative process, so you work with actors, you work with you know, the real-time nature of shooting a film, which is like every time you do something, there's an idea that comes, how can we do that? Or James looks at me. I always sit next to James during the the shoot. I'm literally sitting next to him at the Video Village. And we talk about, you know, we shoot things. He looks at me and says, is that going to work? And I say, yes. <laughs> or I say, maybe not. So let's do it this way. And then, we, you know, every day we go like that. We deal, you know, I deal with the actors, with James and and, you know, trying to explain to them what they're going to see if they don't see something, if we shoot in front of a blue screen, uh, how the, you know, when they're shooting a gun, how it's going to be, uh, when they're handling a, a little gray stuffy thing, how it's going to look like, you know, all these things. So I'm, I'm really here to assist during the shoot. When you get in post-production, it's a different, it's totally different. We're back in the office. Um, we work with the vendors. We start looking at, at the edit of the film start looking at, you know, sending the shots where they need to go at each different vendor and then, you know, briefing them. We've done that throughout the shoot and even in pre-production, but now we get more into the very specific detail of every uh, shot for the film. And then we go through the scenes. Uh, They're getting turned over to us from editorial. We have kickoff meeting with James and the vendors, and we, we really kind of start getting into a groove and a rhythm where we, 
look at stuff every week with James uh, and the editors and the studio, and then we, we make the film happen. I mean, doing a film is like a military operation. There's a lot of logistics, a lot of thinking, and a lot of, it's a tempo, you know, you, you need a rhythm because you, need, you know you have to deliver at a certain date, so you have to be very, very well planned. And even though it can be chaotic, you know, there's, it's, it's a creative process, so there is chaos into it. But the more, the more uh, planned you are, the more chaotic you can be, in a way, because you can allow the creativity if, you, if everything else is well prepared. Happily enough, you know, on, on the James films, uh, especially Guardian 3, even more, because that, you know, we had a very well-oiled machine at that point. It was actually very, very well managed uh, because of, you know, because of James and how precise he is about everything. Not that we're not doing anything new. Actually, we do a lot of new things, but it's just that we know how we work together and it's much more efficient. Yeah. You know, you, you did mention er- earlier working together with with various different departments and i think that's so important for to to sort of talk about because uh, how does that work when you know you said you're sitting next to james and you're relaying this and like you're almost it feels like you're another conduit that's going into like all these different directions because you've got to work with visual development and and what they have helped create then you have to probably work with work with the makeup teams the props teams the costuming teams like all of these departments what is are you okay? Like, I feel like you would be buzzing. I, I love that part of it. It's, it's one of the most interesting part of it. And, and you have to realize that whatever these people do, we carry it over in post-production. So the visual effects department is actually a replica of the physical departments that exist on the film. We, we have our modelers that are going to create the sets. We have our people that are doing, you know, uh, are doing the, the digital uh, characters, which is the same as the makeup people, you know, that create the, the creatures. Well, we carry that over. We have effects people that are going to do digital explosion that need to mimic the real explosions. So we have to understand everything. Like, for example, I mean, that's not related to Guardians, but on Doctor Strange, um, the cloak, his cloak was very specifically built with like 70 different patches of 70 different cloth. And we literally had to understand in order to recreate this, we had to take every patch, weigh it, measure it, understand the density of the cloth so that we could replicate it into the computer and animate it and simulate it as real as possible and as close to the real piece of cloak that we had on set. So we are the, we are literally, I have to understand and be the conduit, as you said, that's a really good word uh, from the physical production to the visual effects companies, you know, all the people that are going to work and I, I need to be able to understand how everything is made so that when they have a question later, I can tell them, or I can tell, you know, okay, come here, uh, come to the, the, the costume department on that day and you're going to have access to it and you're going to be able to measure it, weigh it, do whatever you need to do and organize that, you know, with my team, obviously, organize it with uh, the vendors so that we have a full understanding of how things are made. And same thing for lighting. We need to understand how everything is lit. What's the, the intensity of that light there that's lighting that piece of cloth? Then we need to know exactly what it is so that when we put it in the computer, when we build it, when it's lit by a digital light, it needs to match the real, the real thing. So it's, it's an, an overall understanding of everything that's happening that we, you know, I need to have. Yeah, it's, 
it's wild because I yeah I, I I really glad you you sort of explained it like that because like just thinking about the the practical effects and the visual effects and the, the the all of those things how they have to work together you're talking about replicating them in, in various ways but like it's not just a simple boop, boop, boop. there's so many elements to it but also like blending those things too because you're also taking the work that you and, and all your teams are working on in concert in the same shots in a lot of t- in all, almost all the time with things that are remain physical because especially i would imagine that that's what james prefers he likes oh yeah james i mean james tries to push everybody to do as much in camera as possible. I mean, obviously, where we have a CG raccoon and a tree and, you know, all these things, we know we're not going to do that in camera um, or spaceships and things like that. But we, he still tries to give the actors like a real environment to shoot in, you know, like physical things, like when they're going to hit something, they're going to hit something. So you get the physicality of it, you know, all these things. Um, but yeah, we we do, you know, we we, we mix reality with, you know, post-productions, VFX, CGI. And so we have to blend them together extremely well. And that's what we do. You know, when we're on set, my team, what they do, they take pictures of everything. They they uh, document the, the light. They, they use what we call light probes that kind of, you know, tell us later what the light is going to be and everything. So it's a full understanding of everything that comes into creating the image and blending it with the real world stuff that we're shooting. Um, it's, it's, it's fundamental to creating the right illusion. It's the, the interesting part in visual effects to me, and that's, you know, that comes from my background, which is I, you know, I, I learned quantum mechanics at the university <laughs> and then I went to an art school. You know, I've done both of them. Now it all clicks. Visual effects is the mixture and the, the, the intersection of these two worlds because we are very technical. We go nitty gritty, super nerdy into, oh, how does a cloth react to light? So in order to understand that, we need to really analyze the fabric of it all, how it's made, which, and how does all these surfaces react to light. So that's very scientific. But at the same time, there's a profoundly creative thing. You know, when you animate characters like, you know, Rocket Groot or the characters in the cages in Guardian 3, it's animation, it's acting, it's, it's emotion. So... The, the, there's nothing, in my opinion, visual effects is such a great thing. And I love it because it's really the, the, the confluence of these two things. And I, I think it's, it's magical in a way. Yeah. I was going to make a, a joke earlier. I was like, oh, you got to have physicists and, and, and other scientists on, on the teams. And I was we like, do. oh, yeah, clearly you do. It's, we do. Yeah. We do because when we do a simulation, like when we have an explosion with flames and stuff, when we have water falling down, if it's not working like real physics... It will never look right. And, but, the, but the creative part of it is that you make, it, you make it right, but you know you're making a movie. So you still need to be able to choreograph it. You still need to be able to put your creative uh, input into it. So it's, it's, it's important that we create the right tools with the right physics, but that we are also able to bend reality to what we need to do for the film. So there's, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's just like there's a very fundamental realism that we're getting from the, the physical and, and, and mathematical aspect of it, but also the creative side allows us to create these illusions that are 
working for the story, working for the moment, you know. So it's 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 very interesting in that sense. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to the to the movies for you know like the the franchise for a second. You know, you mentioned obviously you were there for the first Guardians of the Galaxy, and then you weren't there for the second one. So what was that feeling like to return for the holiday special for Volume Three? Like, did it feel like coming home to seeing friends? Like, I or it it really did feel exactly like that. It was it was coming back to the family. You know, I mean, that to to me, the first Guardians is very important because that's the first film I was in charge of fully at Marvel. So it was kind of like my baby and coming back to do the third one coming back to work with James um, we were supposed to start in 2018 it didn't quite work <laughs> uh, and then we we ended up coming back a little later in uh, 2021 but uh, it was just coming back with the family and then we came back the actors were there we said oh my god hey how are you doing <laughs> you know uh, part of the team so Marvel is a big family. We all kind of all know each other. So it was it was great. I mean, it was working with James. I, I always wanted to come back and work with him. You know, uh, we, we get along very well and uh, we understand each other. We have that shorthand, I think, <laughs> that, that makes things efficient. Uh, so it was it was cool. It was cool. And I, I love these characters and being able to. You know, when I read the script, I was very emotional. It was rocket story, things that we had talked about on the first film, you know. Hey, how did he get there? The moment when Rocket takes out his shirt in the first film in the prison and you see all that stuff that happened to him and you're kind of wondering what happened to him. And these are things we talked about years ago and and now we're doing them, you know, and now we're explaining what happened. Um, So that was was very important. And it's this, you know, it's the last one with... Uh, James and these characters. So it, it was really, really cool to be able to be part of the, the family again. Very emotional. I mean, the last day of the shoot, we're all crying. Literally, <laughs> <laughs> like babies. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, yes. Thinking from from like a, a different perspective on it all, so the first film comes out and then you come on to start working again on the holiday special in volume three. There's a number of years in between there. Yeah. Was there, is there, I would imagine there's a, you know, technology evolves and changes your experiences. The things you've worked on has helped you evolve and change. What is that like for you? Like, cause you're, you're coming back to this family, but everything is there's, there's like a whole different group of things that you bring to this. Well, what was interesting was James' shooting style had changed quite a lot. You know, he's working with an, uh, another DP called Henry Bram, and the way they're shooting is very different from how we shot the first one. It's much more fluid, much more, you know, it's just a little camera. So, so that brings a little bit of a different style in terms of visually, uh, also how we build the scenes, also how complicated it is to actually put some digital character in, in a scene where things, cameras are moving so much and things are very active. Um, which actually we did uh, we did a similar thing on on Eternals. We used a similar rig, so I had been going through that, you know, being in the field, out of you know, in in on an island somewhere, and shooting with a camera, and not being able to put tracking markers, and feeling like I'm going to fail later in post, but we still figure it out. So I had a little bit of training on that, but this was even more intense. And then. In terms of the technology, everything has, has evolved. I mean, in 10 years in visual effects and computers just is, is a huge amount of time. And the, the, the rendering power is much bigger. The tools are much better. You know, artists have been really making tools that can allow us to do pretty much anything. 
even that you know recreating we 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 know the characters we you know we have to recreate a, gr- a new group because it's a new design but even rocket we had to kind of rethink some of the way we're doing things um and also we had to recreate all different stages of you know from when he's a baby to uh, so so all these tools like the the tools that are doing fur the way the fur is rendered the way the fur can interact between cg characters but also between actors and CG characters, all that stuff, the tools have evolved. And, uh, and now we have a level of realism that is, uh, that is really, really good. Uh, it's just super complicated, <laughs> but, but the tools are there and, uh, and the artists are, you know, they've been going through a lot of things. They've learned a lot, you know, uh, across the years working on these bigger and bigger and bigger movies. And, um, you know, now it's really, uh, anything goes, even though, you know, there's limits always. There's always things that were, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, but the, 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 the good thing about working with James, for example, is that even if we could do anything, he doesn't want us to do everything crazy. You know, it's all about the story. It's always focused on the character and the story. And I think that's why the movie works so well. It's not about showing off, you know, visual effects or anything. It's about telling a story using visual effects. And, it, you know, I think we're very good at that together because we understand what, what is the goal in the end. It's just telling a good story, you know. Of course. And in service of that, I, were there any particular challenges of things that, like, you just, you all had to come together and figure out how to do something that is really, like, never been done before? Like, what, what, can you give us anything? It's... it's um... It's the scale of things most of the time, you know, big space battle like that, or even, uh, you know, doing a dog that really looks like a dog. It's actually not been done that <laughs> that much before. Um, and people think it's still a real dog. It's not, um, you know, and then it's just the quantity. I mean, we had 3000 VFX shots in the film, which is more than anything we've ever done. And uh, they're all pretty complicated. And one thing that we did way more in this film than I've done before was a close, close interaction between CG characters and actors. Uh, like they're holding on to each other, sometimes just you know touching faces with fur and stuff like that. Very complicated things that I, you know, I was when we were shooting it, I was like, James, you're really pushing me to my limits. <laughs> and uh, it was, yeah, I know. <laughs> But uh, it's fine, you know, and it's great and it works, you know, in the end. We always find a way. Yeah, yeah, um, no, you, you got it on a lot of that stuff. Um, you know, can you tell people a little bit about um, some of the different processes that you use to, to sort of create and, and work with a lot of these characters in the films? Because it's a mix of motion capture, stand-ins, props, full CGI. Like, there's there's a lot going on. It's actually, we don't do motion capture. No motion se. capture at all anymore. On the Garden films, there is no motion captures for the CG characters. It's not motion capture per se. It's animated with a reference from the actors. We're in a motion capture volume, but to capture the camera moves. Because James has that very specific way of shooting things in that very fluid way. So he wanted to make sure that whatever would happen in those cages, because it's full CG shots would be shot exactly the way it would have been shot if he had been here with the animals. So we motion captured the cameras. We didn't motion capture the... We, the actors had little things and dots on them because we wanted to know where they were in 3D space. Uh, 
So we had an idea of where everything was compared to the camera and the cage, but we didn't use any of that motion capture. So it's all hand animated by amazing, amazing animators. And <laughs> I mean, and they really look at every, and the acting was so good. And James, when we did the sequences, he knew this is my acting I'm going to get and we're going to use this. And the acting was, we had to reference like the little eye blinks, the little eye, you know, even simple, very eye direction changes, you know, it, the, the, the way the eyelids were on, on that very close up of, of baby rocket, the first time he's in the cage and, and, um, Lila comes in and puts that little cloth on top of his face, the eyes, we shot Sean Gunn doing this in a close-up, and we really reanimated the eyes exactly to match what Sean had done. And that, that worked really well. We don't have, you know, killing new technology, but we have killing great animators <laughs> that, that have set up the face of that baby raccoon to be able to replicate very precisely the acting of our actors and you feel, I mean, you can see a, a side-by-side image uh, of the two and you know, you know, it's Sean, it's Sean in there, you know, and, uh, and same for Lila. I mean, there's like one moment I remember she, when, when they're all, you know, laying on their backs and talking about their names. And there's that one moment um, when Linda Cartellini did that little face, like she, she just twisted her face like that. And we put it into Lila and it works so well. And it's all based off their acting. And it's hand animated. The core story of the movie revolve around these moments with these CG characters, right? So if that doesn't work, the entire story kind of collapses. Uh, So so there's a lot put on us. Uh, We shot for two days at the beginning of the film with the actors. And that was these two days were the core story of the film. And that was great to start with that because it put people in a mindset for the rest of the film that how important that story is for everything that's happening around it. So it was, you know, if we had failed to this, the movie would not work. Definitely did not fail. Thinking about, like, you know, we we talk about the scene with Lila and Tiefs and Floor and and Rocket and all that stuff and uh, some of the, all these other things you just mentioned. But now fans can rewatch the film as often as they'd like at home, whether it's on Disney Plus or on the home entertainment release. But, and it's been out for a few months. So are, are there any other things that you go, man, I wish people talked about this more. I wish people, this thing is so cool. I did, someone worked on this so freaking hard. Everybody worked on I everything know, so know. freaking hard. I know that that's the, the hard thing, but the, there's so many cool moments. You know, even the the little scenes, like when they're on uh, they're on Counter Earth with all the the people from Counter Earth, and there's this Groot just running around and holding, the, you know, going out of the house, and there's all these kind of banter between the characters, all these little moments. You know, they're so funny to me. Um, and then there's, um, there's, I mean, there's so much. There's like little things that we spend a ton of time to get right. Like when they're in the the, uh, the meat planet and they're pushing these buttons and the way the, the hands go in there and they turn and everything. That that seems like a simple effect, but actually James was very specific about these things. Um, there's so much going on everywhere. It's it's uh, it's uh, it's a lot of work. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, so. We talked about Counter-Earth, the Humanimals. If there, let's say there's a Humanimal version of you 
on Counter Earth, what kind of animal do you think that version <laughs> of Steph Soretti would be? It's the panda. Oh, <laughs> it's had, the panda. You thought about you had that one. I like that. I don't know if you remember seeing a panda I, I and do. a panda. It's great. Uh, and then finally, what are you going to miss most about working on this iteration of the Guardians? I just this, you know, we have so much fun shooting these things with the the, the actors. Um, it's it's just special to see them all working together, you know. So that will not happen again. And uh, just being there with James directing them and sending crazy, crazy ideas to them as they're shooting and having fun doing it. And us just being like giddy kids behind the screen at the video village and just laughing like crazy, crazy teenagers. <laughs> That's that I'm going to miss. But, uh, you know, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss working with some of the people that I've worked with in, uh, in post-production. But, you know, the team is... Teams, it's a small world. We're all going to work together again uh, at some point. So it's not lost on that. Maybe not exactly the same people and everything, but we'll, uh, we'll meet again. <laughs> Steph, thank you so much. Everybody go check out Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 on Disney+. Plus. Yes. Enjoy. Oh, uh, that was Stefan Soretti, the visual effects supervisor nice. to Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Of course, you can watch Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 on Disney+. Plus. There's the IMAX enhanced version. There's a regular version that's out on HD, 4K, Blu-ray, digital, all the ways you can watch it. You can watch it right now. Go watch it yep. after you listen to this. Though. You can. Bring your tissue box, though. All right, now it is time for our community section, a.k.a. This Week in Messages. Now, <laughs> next week, James, we yes. will have on the show Iman Vellani and Sabir Prasada, who are the co-writers of the brand new Ms. Marvel, the New Mutant series. Uh, it's very exciting. The book is a whole ton of fun. And we'll be talking with them um, about the book, about creation and all that stuff. But there's a really cool thing that, uh, Aman specifically puts in the book because she loves Silver Surfer and she's like she likes Doctor Strange but she loves Silver Surfer so she had to <laughs> yeah. have a way of like bringing Silver Surfer into this book um, and so thinking about that as our question of the week with Ms. Marvel back uh, in, in the comics and as part of the X-Men now what Marvel characters do you want to see her team up with? Wow are you asking me? I'm asking you, and then I'm asking everyone who's listening. Wow. I think, you know, the, she's teamed up with so many cool people. It's true. But, and and I, I don't know if she has teamed up with this person already. But, you know, when I think of X-Men, you know, I, I got to go with, you know, the hardest brother in town. It'd be kind of cool to see her sweet spirit just walking around with Logan. What would happen if, like, she and Wolverine had to have an adventure together? And the crazy thing about Wolverine is, like, he seems to soften when it's young people. Like, if you're if you're over thirty, he can give a crap. He will stab you as look at you. But if you're if you're younger, if you you like, he's like he's got a soft spot. He almost wants to teach you so you don't become like the, all the others that he can't stand. <laughs> so I think that'd be kind of fun to like see what knowledge he would impart to her, especially now that she's a mutant. Uh, what he would say and how he would be and what he would try to teach her. 
I love that answer. They they did have a team up early on in her career when um when Logan didn't have his healing factor and it was right before he died. Wow. Okay. Because characters come back. Um, yeah. But they they did have there's a I believe a great cover if I remember correctly it's by Jamie McKelvey uh, where she's like taking a selfie of them and he's all grumpy looking but they have this relationship which is part of what I love about this era for Ms. Marvel it's like it all makes sense it's all connected in a lot of ways and and thinking about that i was thinking even past it like so she's she chooses silver surfer maybe we had a cosmic character but that your answer made me think of i want to see her with jubilee it's like oh my gosh two eras of these like really fun bubbly but like dealing with constantly serious issues and they've 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 got really complex interesting um connections to wolverine to other marvel universe characters no that, that's that's has she ever has she ever teamed with kitty pride Ooh, because well, that's another in in the current state um K- kitty aka kate aka shadow cat is um on the x-men team that ms marvel is is sort of hanging around with and they um their interactions are not the friendliest because really Kate is not in the great headspace because basically she's watched all of her family murdered in front of her right. and That's she's true. just like gone back to ninja mode. It's crazy. It's really fun. It's really interesting stuff. But yeah, so that's a good one. I like I Jubilee. Swear, I- I, I literally, you know, me, you you tell me all the time. I always come through things like so late. So oh, yeah. I have got to like. <laughs> we put out like twenty because... comics a week. It's okay. I know. There's I'm no still... shade. No shame. <laughs> but that's awesome. But yo, I mean, she's such a cool character. So yeah, I would. But um, I like my answer. But your answer is better. Jubilee would be <laughs> kind of yeah. That that'd be awesome because that's the generational gap of the sure saying. Oh, I've been there. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we want to hear from everyone listening. You could tweet your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel, email them to twinpodcast.marvel.com, or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. Please make sure to tell us it's okay to read Twim so we can read it on the show. Um, your answers can be X characters, your answers can be non X characters. Just in my head, just now, Jeff the Landshark just popped in. <laughs> Anyway. But since, but you know, but since we're in the book, since we're in Hellfire Club, what if she got to, what if, what if somehow this week in Marvel got to sit down and interview Ms. Marvel? Dun, dun, dun. Cool. Like in the comic, like she was like, yeah. was like guys, like we, we're doing a bunch of things, but Ms. Marvel, we have an interview. We have an interview. Yeah, yeah. The guys from this week in Marvel. What's this week in Marvel? Oh, let us explain. And because you are, you are Marvel. This week in Marvel, we're doing an interview about you, and the three of us interview her. That'd be kind of dope. Getting her head. There is a whole bunch of inside Ms. Marvel's head in this new book. So <laughs> one never knows. Now it is time to get into some of the answers that we had from last week. And our question of the week last week was, if you were on Counter Earth in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, mm-hmm. and you were a human animal. What kind of human animal would you be? You you just lit up, James. What is your answer? <laughs> oh, I I'd be some form of feline. It's it, um, I swear I it's terrible to say. I love this has nothing to do with the child. I just love I just love panthers and I love black panthers. I love um. I love those. I love the weird mutant like uh, black tigers, or you know, or the albino lions. Like if it's if it's a if it had to be a land animal, it would be some form of feline. And if it was some form of animal of the sea, I just have a thing for um, octopus. Uh, I just I I love the cephalopods. So if it was an octopus thing, that'd be kind of dope. That'd be really fun. Yeah. 
Uh, great answer. And we've got more. First up, we've got a tweet from Max Lorem at my own underscore voice said, I would love to be a red panda, but more realistically, I probably would be a cat doing nothing but reading and drinking tea. <laughs> Live your um, best life, Max. Right? Dolphin Pants, at Dolphin Pants, uh, underscore, a dolphin. Hopefully I could breathe. I don't know. I believe in what our mighty high evolutionary <laughs> has planned for us. How? D- really? <laughs> well well played, well played. We've got one in here which says, I think I would be a Hugh Dolphin. I have always envied their power, their speed, and the way they seem to enjoy life. All right, Big Dolphin has got to step back from answering our... Uh, our question of the week because that's two dolphin answers in one week that is true i find that sus i i, I don't know i mean i think i think i think well here's the thing people enjoy dolphins because you know they're cool they're not sharks they're mammals but they still are powerful and can do stuff so i can i can see how people would do that email from antonio happy episode 616 twim team congratulations on making it to this big number and thanks for keeping us informed and entertained week after week to answer last week's question a platypus Please, but give me wings too. I'm picturing Kamala Khan's flying sloth baby, just a cute little platypus humanimal instead. <laughs> I love it. Um, we got an email from Carol who says, the humanimal I would be if I lived on counter earth would totally be a dog, a golden retriever specifically because they're the dog species I am most like. Although it would fun to be a fish just to see what a fish designed to act like a human would be like. <laughs> great answers carol email from jason kim dear ryan and the twim team aloha from hawaii may i ask you guys can you give a big shout out to the west side comics and game on oahu got you they're celebrating their 10th anniversary on august 19th julius the store owner is a cool guy and he's an amazing comic shop i just wish everybody a great weekend and read some amazing comics aloha from jason yeah um thank you jason yeah y'all if anybody out there has a comic shop they want to shout out let us know we love shouting gotcha. out comic shops. Um, yeah. All right, we got a Facebook message in here from Carly. And Carly says, the humanimal I'd be if I was living on counter-earth would be a batcoon, as I would be furry and have claws to defend myself if the high evolutionary was being a drama king and have <laughs> actual bat ears. And yes, I'd be hanging out with a certain fur boy named Rocket Raccoon. Um yeah, she'd she'd want to be uh to fly using furry bat wings, but also be part raccoon. I I kind of like that. I I kind of like that. It. I kind of like that. Cause you know, cause Rocket would meet her and then he'd just build some you know build some cool wings for himself just cause it'd be fun. Heck yeah, <laughs> just fabulous, fabulous, yes. fabulous, fabulous, and that wraps up this fabulous 616 episode of This Week in Marvel, which was produced by Jasmine Estrada, Isabel Robertson, Ryan Panagos, and James Monroe Iglehart. Our senior manager audio production and development is Brad Barton. And Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to Everything Batcoon. Not only can you fly and can you hear everything going on, but you have hands like a raccoon. So if you decide to dig in people's garbage or maybe oh. just go inside to of your refrigerator because you want to float while you're getting a drink later, late at night. And also you can hear people coming. So just in case you don't want to answer your door, you don't have to. Brought to you, this episode is brought to you by Batcoon. Everybody, get bat and be that raccoon. Now I'm just picturing the giant ass <laughs> raccoons we have here in the Bronx, and I'm sure you have giant ones yes. where you are in the burbs, with wings and like uh, bat ears, and they're just like hanging from a tree. You see like a forty pound ra- ba- raccoon, terrifying. I love oh. it. 
Evolution, yeah. baby! Right. Evolution, baby! <laughs> I'm Ryan. I'm James. This is Marvel. Your universe.